From the ice to your earbuds, a podcast about hockey, featuring things to do with hockey. From your friends at ESPN, it's ESPN on ice with Wachinski and Kaplan. Hey everybody, welcome to ESPN on ice, the podcast where ESPN covers hockey. I'm Greg Wachinski, NHL senior writer for ESPN.com. I'm Emily Kaplan, a national NHL reporter for ESPN.com. And we are back from Tampa and the NHL All-Star Game, where, uh, <laughs> honestly, it wasn't all that sunny. And uh, it actually rained all day during All-Star Day, which is weird for Florida, because usually in Florida, you get torrential rain for about, oh, I'd say seven or eight minutes. And then it clears up, and then the rain comes back about, you know, 20 minutes later. Uh, this was just rain all day. Uh, but it was fine. I mean, I think I think I would say overall it was a good time. Uh, we'll park the all-star talk for a second, though, to talk about what is the biggest story, I think, of the week and of the weekend, which is uh, the end, we assume, of Yarmir Yager's career in the National Hockey League. Now, he'll probably keep playing in Cladno until the sun explodes, uh, you know, <laughs> many, many years from now. Uh, but, you know, one has to assume that having passed through waivers, having only played uh, 20-some-odd games with the Calgary Flames, uh, this is most likely the end of uh, Yager in the National Hockey League. Unless, hell, you know, maybe the Flames boomerang back and bring him back for the playoffs, but I don't quite know why they would do that. Uh, so your thoughts on the end of, of Yager, Emily? I'm really sad it was so unceremonious. Uh, you know, the season obviously didn't go the way he expected. He was hurt. He was on the sideline. What I do love is now that he is walking away, we can bring out what I believe to be better than, like, remember when Chuck Norris facts or, like, Jack Bauer facts were a thing? <laughs> like, yeah. that's what I feel like is is rushing media right now. We got this list of 68 of them from ESPN Stats and Info. My personal favorite, Yamir Yager has reportedly been doing 1,000 squats per day since he was seven. That means he's done nearly 14 million squats in his <laughs> lifetime. So, like, I'm glad that we can appreciate the Iron Man that was Yamir Yager. He... <laughs> I hate to say this. He's been playing in the NHL before I was born. Like, that's mm-hmm. crazy. Uh, that's, and it, that's fine to say. He's been playing in the NHL before the majority of players have been born. I mean, like, right, he's right. playing McDavid. Anybody born, you know, after like 92 is, uh, is, has, is born after the Yager era began. So no shame there at okay. all. Um, no shame there, but look, and it's crazy too across all sports. Um, you know, the thing is, is that I think it was the NBA. There's no one playing in his draft year. Uh, Football, definitely not. Emmett Smith was, I think, drafted in the same year as Yager. He retired 13 years ago. <laughs> the stat I thought was real interesting, because obviously, you know, when it comes to Yager, the longevity is the key. To be honest right. with you, in, in the book I did with Dave Lozo and Down Goes Brown, we think I think we had him either 18th or 19th overall in NHL history, actually behind Alex Ovechkin. Now, keep in mind, this was a book that uh, was written to uh, with a formula. Uh, it, it weighed heavily in the modern era. And, uh, and all that stuff. So I think that's probably where we got that from. But I mean, he's a top 20 player. The longevity is the key. And my favorite stat about him that, that I dug up. So in 2011, when Yager was 39 through this season, when he was 45, he had the same points per game average as Matt Duchesne and Jonathan Huberdeau and a higher one than James Van Riemsdyk and Ryan Johansson. This is a 39 year old to 45. And these are like young pups. Young offensive pups versus him. <laughs> it, it's, 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 I've constantly been in awe of his longevity, but also in awe of, and this is one of my favorite things about hockey players. You saw it with Steve Eiserman, uh, you see it with other guys. 
the the dynamic scorers that change the way they play as they get older, knowing that they can't simply just skate past guys anymore. Mm-hmm. And in Yager's case, it was like, you know, back in the day, he was a comet. Like, he played like Ovechkin does, where he would come down the wing and he would fire a shot or he'd deke a guy out of his skates or whatever. And, uh, and he was such a, a powerful, fast player. And then he got older and he basically became like, Kevin Durant. Like, he just became like a, <laughs> like a, like a post-up guy. Yeah. Who would use his frame to just go down low into the corners or. Well, he had all those the, squats, so it's a pretty, you know, yeah, frame down there. Right. Low center of gravity and changed the way he played and became an ex- extraordinarily effective player that way. So, um, I always appreciated that about him. Then on top of that, just like, you know, we wouldn't be talking about Yager today, uh, were it not also for Yager being Yager. Mm-hmm. The the weird like I talked to Claude Drew about Yager's sense of humor uh when he was with the Flyers with Drew and Drew's just like, Yeah, he's he's one of the oddest people I've ever met. Like his his sense of humor is not typical for an NHL locker room. And it's very as he got older it became very self deprecating and you know, oh I don't know, I you know, I'm very old now. I don't know if I'd be able to score goals and that kind of thing. And it was just really, really funny. Um and then on top of that, just like the rock star thing. I mean, you know, we're we're a couple years removed from the uh the Czech model that tried to blackmail Yager with a, a photo of them in bed uh that she put on it uh, that that she claimed she had and was gonna give to the media and then Yager just like put the photo on Instagram and said, Bring it. You know, it's just like he was such a rock star, the mullet, the whole thing. Uh, really a, a singular talent in sports history, not only with the stats on the ice, but also who he was off the ice. 100%. And, you know, when you talk about his longevity, one of my other favorite stats, and this also sounds Chuck Norris-esque, but he had 22 head coaches. Like, that's just crazy. <laughs> and it's not that he was that head coach killer and, like, you know, like setting them off. It's just that he was around that damn long that that many head coaches had to cycle through. Yeah, and, and like the numbers of 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 how many people, uh, you know, had a point with him from assisted the point. on yeah. goals. Yeah, he had two. It was two hundred and sixteen different players have assisted on one of Yager's goals. <laughs> Johnny Goudreau uh, proudly said that he w- had an assist on what might be Yager's last NHL goal. So keep that in the back of your minds for the uh, the trivia tri- trivia contest. Uh, so yeah, so maybe the end of Yager, but maybe not because who the hell knows Yager? Like I said, I, for for reals, like I think he might play until he's fifty. He's talked about it. It would be uh, really owned- cool if he played for every team. Yeah, it's, I mean, no, I think his <laughs> NHL time is done. You know that too. Uh, but he, he could easily just play in Clad though until he's 50. He owns the team. He's trying to get the team back to the, uh, the highest tier. By 50, tier you mean 60. League. Yeah, well, 50 is, 60 to 50, as we all know. I, I'm saying that because, you know, I'm looking at 60 and stuff until like 20 years. No, um, <laughs> all right. So fare thee well to Yammer Yager. All-star game weekend. Uh, what was your, what was your favorite takeaway from All-Star Game Weekend? Uh, you know, be it the skills competition or be it the game itself? Kind of like the coming out party for certain players. Ricard Raquel was one of them. He had a nice moment for the Ducks, but it really was the Brock Besser show. I mean, firstly, he got to play without a helmet, which revealed this amazing flow. Um, <laughs> he would win any flow competition among lax players, hockey players, whatever. It was just, it's gorgeous mane of hair. But uh, just his, his style of play, and I think sometimes in America we have a hard time catching on to stars when they are playing above the border. He's on a Canucks team that, frankly, just isn't that interesting. But he's a stud. He's the Calder Trophy favorite, in my opinion. And he showed it this weekend. Plus, he made a ton of money. His average salary is $925,000. I confirmed with his agent that he did have an MVP bonus 
in his contract, which triggered another two hundred twelve hundred thousand bonus. He made more than five hundred and fifty thousand dollars. Plus, he won a car. But he was so humble and so Minnesota nice about it. And he said, what are you going to do with the car? And he's like, I don't know. Maybe I'll give it to my sister or something. And it was just really endearing. It is. And uh, and Besser is an interesting case. Now, here's the question. Um, mm-hmm. I I remember Jeff Skinner the year that Carolina had the All-Star game. Yeah. Really knocked the socks off of the national media that had descended uh, on Carolina to watch that game. He had a great weekend. Uh, he was all over the place. His personality was front and center. And I do believe uh, that he won a bunch of Rookie of the Year votes that weekend. Do you think that Brock Besser has made up any ground with Matt Barzell leading the Calder race based on winning shot accuracy, being around, having sick, sick flow? Do you think that he's convinced some voters as to the validity of his candidacy. I really do think he has. And if you think about it, we, the media, vote on that kind of stuff. We're here. We're what have you done for me lately? When Brock Besser's in front of us, scoring a ton of goals, flashing a shot accuracy, answering our questions, uh, impressing us. Well, we're not seeing Matt Barzell here in the Islanders. I don't know how many national media folks are coming to Islanders games these days. Uh, Charlie McAvoy, sideline right now with his heart issue. He wasn't there. Uh, yeah, Brock Besser is front and center for us, and it's it's kind of a recency bias thing. Absolutely, um, it's also a bias for me because I think he's he's done some more heavy lifting than Barzell has, but that's just me. Uh, I, I mean, and I, I have Barzell as at the top of my Calder list uh, on the PHWA uh, midseason uh, awards, what have you. Uh, but you know, I, I I still think there's a case to be made for Brock, and and, I, and I'm interested to see how the whole thing does play out. Eventually, Uh, obviously, for me, the Brian Boyle story was the most moving thing uh, that happened in the NHL this weekend. It's amazing how it all comes full circle, because here's a guy who is fighting leukemia. Great story. Inspiring story. Gets named to the All-Star team when Taylor Hall hurts his hand. And it ends up that the All-Star game is in a place where he used to play in Tampa for parts of three seasons where he is absolutely beloved. Like, the outpouring of affection from the Tampa fans for Brian Boyle, who is, you know, without question, uh, on top of being an inspiring story, also a guy who plays the kind of hockey that endears himself to fans. Um, mm-hmm. where they're chanting his name so loudly that he can't do his post-game interview on NBC. It was insane. And, and you know, like, it's the connection between a player like that and the fans is palpable. Uh, the, the connection between the fans and that player, uh, at times was completely overwhelming. The, 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 the cheers he got and the admiration that he received. 100%. And it was directly inverted to the reception that Brad Marchand got from the Boston <laughs> Bruins. <laughs> right. Now, but, let, let's talk about this. So where did you stand on him being at the All-Star game, being that he was in the midst of a five-game suspension? I vacillate. I think part of it is like, look, you deserve to be there. You had a great year. All this happened before you go and you concuss Marcus Johansson in what was kind of a dirty play. At the same time, you can cut Marcus Johansson, which was kind of a dirty play. You're not going to be eligible to play for five games. Um, it just seemed kind of inappropriate for him to be there when it was a celebration of the game's biggest stars and all that's great in hockey. At the same time, God yeah. bless Brad Marchand, the little ball of hate, um, who just embraced it and blew kisses to the crowd and understood that he wasn't quite welcome there. But he's like, sorry, I'm not sorry. Yeah, and then and then he's you know basically Ric Flair, like he's feigning injury on the Johnny Gaudreau trip. That was ridiculous. And like, yeah, and it's it, the whole thing was 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 hilarious. 
um, you know, I asked him after the All-Star game, I'm like, you know, why didn't you get the four minutes? He's like, I don't know. I, I thought they didn't buy my acting, I guess. I don't know. Uh, and then he's like waving goodbye to the, uh, the Metropolitan team when they beat him in the, in the game. I, I'm with you. Like, I'm torn. Like, like I, like I wrote in our best and worst of the All-Star game post on ESPN, like, it, he is without question one of the best things of All-Star Weekend. He was hilarious. He was, uh, entertaining he played his role well he knew exactly what was expected of him as the top heel in in hockey at this point at the same time there's absolutely no way a player that is suspended should be uh at the nhl's dog and pony show here are our best and brightest here are the people we want to be front facing front facing that's a richard deitch uh, phrase by the way <laughs> a lot of airtime for richard deitch uh front facing talent for the national hockey league and uh and uh, and here's a guy that just concussed another player and is currently suspended. So uh, with the caveat that I don't think he should have been there, uh, he was without question one of the more entertaining aspects of, of All-Star Weekend. Um, the other thing that I wanted to talk about was how goaltenders actually mattered for once at the All-Star game. Now, goalies are usually props. Uh, they're, they're, you know, relegated to, as you'll hear in our interview with Kevin Weeks in a few minutes, uh, they're relegated to just being basically cardboard stand-ups that the skaters, uh, score through with their fancy shootout moves. And what the NHL did was finally make them relevant with this new skills competition. A, a stick tap to, uh, Patrick Burke for coming up with this thing. Uh, it is the, the, the save streak. And so if you didn't see it, what it was was they took the, the, uh, the shootout that usually mm-hmm. happens in the All-Star game. Acknowledging that it's painfully boring now to watch players in a shootout because we, it's commonplace. Sure. And they said, all right, we'll take the shootout and then we'll put the spotlight on the goalies instead of the shooters and say the goaltender who saves the most shootout attempts consecutively will win the competition. And uh, it wound up being Mark Andre Fleury. They allowed the goaltenders to pick their own music. Fleury picked uh, <laughs> picked the music from Frozen. Uh, she, he picked Let It Go for his daughters, and it was a really charming moment. And it put the the focus on the goalies in a way that I can't remember outside of that ridiculous. Everybody wears their their uniforms and and gear uh, goalie race they had that one year uh, in ways that the All Star Game usually doesn't. And I really appreciated that because they do deserve a spotlight, and I would love to see the event come back next year. Yeah, speaking of events, I do think that we are going to see another tinkering of what's in the skills competition because the NHL just can't figure it out. And one of the more interesting storylines on Saturday morning was the NHL and Patrick Burke scrambling to fill rosters for these events, specifically two of them, the fastest (laughs) skater and the hardest shot. Because nobody wanted to do them. Uh, you know, they could use any excuse they wanted for fast skater. Maybe I'm going to blow a hammy. Maybe I'm going to embarrass myself. I think they just didn't want to. They knew they were going to lose to Connor McDavid. <laughs> As for hardest shot, it's you've mentioned it a couple times. But without Zdeno Char or Shea Weber there, like, there's no real, you know, strong man to, yeah. to carry the load. We didn't even know if a guy was going to top 100 miles per hour, which kind of would have been embarrassing. I think it's a reflection also on the, you know, the makeup of the league these days where we're going a little swifter, you know, Daintier, uh, more skill. <laughs> yeah, like come on, the the best Johnny Goudreau right is like dainty, without question. To your to your point though, like it, it, you know, the league is trending away from behemoths, so the hardest shot competition will definitely start to change. Uh, but yeah, it, it would have been pretty embarrassing had Alex Ovechkin not uh, cleared the century mark in his last attempt. It would have been the first time since 2003 uh, that we didn't have a uh, a hardest shot winner that went over 100 miles an hour. So it's a good thing you hit that there. Over, overall, I, I would say this was a really entertaining All-Star weekend. 
Um, the, the fans were into it. It did help that the Lightning had so many players, you know, on the all-star team, on that, on that Atlantic division team. Um, and the Pacific was super fun. Oh, that's one thing we didn't talk about. The uniforms. Oh. We discussed it during the all-star game a little bit, me and you. A little bit. That's I, all we talked we, about. We are, we are, we are maybe the outliers here. We're totally in the tank for the Pacific division all whites. I think of myself as someone who like has a good sense of trends. I didn't know that like you and I were the only one who knew what's trendy. They were awesome. You're in Florida, like embrace it, be weird. The all whites look so sharp. You can't do that in regular life. That's why you got to do it now. And everyone was like, mm, meh. Yeah. All white uniforms, the white gloves, the white pants. You had the, the splash of color on the socks and on the, on the shoulders. They could have gone to Diddy's party in the Hamptons afterwards. It's very chic. I, oh, I really do. it. on the tiki bar where all the sports writers were afterwards. Yeah. It, it, it's a very versatile outfit. Now, granted, probably couldn't eat a bowl of pasta after, after the game with those uniforms. But overall, mm-hmm. just pretty sharp looking. So I, my official ranking, Slightful. and you, can, you yeah. can correct me if I'm wrong, would be Atlantic Division first, the, the, blue and, the blue and yellow ones, which I think if you swapped out the yellow for neon green, those could be the Seattle Totems, Metropolitan, Sasquatch, That's a lot whatever. of ifs and conditionals. I know. It's not exactly the same thing. Not the same thing. Then, then Pacific second, the all whites, then, uh, the, the reverse, the, the sort of white version of the TNA jerseys from the World Cup that the, that the, um, Central Division wore would be third. And then whatever the hell that gray monstrosity, the Metro wore, it looked like someone had sprayed a bunch of lemon pledge on a really dusty table is what they looked like to me. What was your ranking? Uh, white on white. I'm, I'm doubling down here. Um, I like the black and neon. I think it was, you know, it, sharp looking. It was reminiscent of Team North America. It's different. Uh, then blue and yellow, which if you just swap three of the colors could be the Seattle Sockeyes uniform and then that gray and yellow. <laughs> so not steelheads, Sockeyes? You, you Sockeyes, steelheads. Every time I'm going to give them a new name. Have you the gone pre- fish though? Is, is fish the preferred nickname for our, our friends in Seattle? It Some makes sort of sense. Fish. And the sockeye is a feisty fish. I don't know. I vastly, every week I think I have a new favorite. I was really team Metropolitans after I heard the story of Paul Kim, the Korean immigrant who bought the domain name and uh, the trademark to the name. And I was just like, this kid deserves it. Yeah. And every week you teach me something new, which is that sockeyes are the fiercest fish, did you say? Or what are they? Yeah, I think they're very violent. <laughs> and someone in PETA is probably going to reach out after this uh, podcast saying I'm just well, being inappropriate. You didn't say that you want to turn them into a coat. Or I'll give you one small fun fact about myself, though. When I was a yeah. child, I used to be obsessed with whales. We go to Cape Cod every summer and just love whales. And I got mm-hmm. really upset when people would call them killer whales when they are orcas. Like, I got yeah. very offended by that. When- when you'd be when you would be offended by that, were you offended because you felt you felt like that was pejorative that they were that they're beautiful creatures that don't deserve to be called killers, or just that they, the name was wrong? Yeah, no, that they don't deserve to be killers, and they're you know just different than you and I. But they have a name, and it's an orca. When you would go whale watching, would you see whales? Yeah, you'd see like eight huge whales and like two hundred dolphins. It's amazing. But my mom yeah, always got seasick, so we would only go like once every four years. The only time I ever went whale watching was in Maine, and I got to tell you, I didn't see a whale, and I felt like, what? yeah, I, I, it, it's one of these deals that's like, I feel like there should be some kind of an animatronic Bruce the Shark type whale that they have for these things, that they can no. just press a button and it emerges from the water and sprays some water. Just so, like, you know, something you would see on, like, the 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea ride at the old Disney World. Like, something that you that you can, even if it's fake, 
you know, that you feel like you've got your money's worth. Because otherwise, it's just a nice boat ride around. Wouldn't empty problems. No, then you go to the National Seashore Museum, as I always do. And then you see the whale bones and read about all the purposes of whalings for our early ancestors. And it's just, it's really historic time. And I love whales. Well, thank you, whale fangirl, Emily Kaplan. Uh, the more yeah. you know. Today I learned Emily's a whale fangirl. There, there she goes. Uh, so bring your, so sell, send her all your whaler stuff, you know, obviously, <laughs> as, as she'll cherish it. Uh, I, okay, so the all-star game was in Tampa. The all-star game was in some ways a, a celebration of, of quality goaltending. Who better to talk to about all this than Kevin Weeks, uh, analyst for NHL Network. Uh, a, a former goaltender in this very National Hockey League we watch. And, of course, as we talked about off the top in this interview, a former member of the Tampa Bay Lightning. I love playing here. Yeah. It was amazing. It was a great place to play, a great place to live. I live right behind here in Harbor Island. It's perfect. Um, we had really enthusiastic fans even then. Yeah. We had a tight-knit team. A lot of us are young players. I mean, though, Vinny was obviously a young star, superstar in, in the making. Right. Richie came in and was really a young star. I think he had six or five points his rookie year, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. But very mature, and obviously they're friends going back to their time playing at Notre Dame and playing in Ramuski together. But uh, two really classy guys, good families, good parents, outstanding players at mm-hmm. the time, even in Richie's rookie year, the first year. And just in general, and then Marty St. Louis, you know, Marty, I remember talking to Marty. We played against each other in, in the IHL, yeah. actually. So I remember talking to Marty here in the shower. He's like, we see, you know, I think I could do more. I think I could do more to help the team. I'm like, go talk to, go talk to Ludzi. Tell him. Yeah. Go tell Ludzi. So he's I not played for Ludzi. I played for Ludzi in the IHL. Yeah. Right? And for Duds with the Detroit Vipers. Right. So I'm like, go talk to Ludzi. Go tell him. He was fourth line, penalty kill, no real PP. You went and talked to him. Within two, three years, he's league MVP. It's crazy to think that at one point, I mean, like, and that's sort of his origin story. Like, yeah. when he came up with the Flames, I think it was. Yeah. Undersized guy at the yep. time. If you're undersized, you're not playing top line minutes. And right. He winds up being one of the greatest point producers in the last 20 to 35, 30, 30 years. It's Amazing. Crazy. And yeah. a future Hall of Famer. So, yeah. uh, we had a really cool group, man. We, like I said, a lot of us were younger players. Some of us were just trying to get some solid footing in the league. We had a couple of young superstars, or maybe three young superstars, really, if you add Marty to what he ended up becoming. But Pavel Kabina, yeah. Vasilev Prospel, I mean, a lot of us on that team ended up playing a long time. And more importantly, that team ended up winning a Stanley Cup. So it was, it was a fun time. I, I really love my time here. Even after the Cup, this was a, it was a good hockey town, but yes. it's not the hockey town that it is now. Like Correct. The, the, the Vinnick effect that Batman was talking oh. about at, during the All-Star Weekend, is, yes. it's pretty evident everywhere you look around It's here. tangible. Yeah. It's tangible. I mean, you know, we... We had Mr. Davidson that owned us at the time. He's passed since passed, mm-hmm. but very passionate, owned the Pistons, then ended up buying an NHL franchise, and we we were treated really well. We loved playing here. I think towards the end and then that transition, um, and then, of course, it was uh, it was Oren and Lenny Barry, Barry yeah. and I played with Lenny in the minors and played a little bit in Florida together, but that didn't work out as well as everybody would have hoped, and then it kind of came at the stable hands of Mr. Vinnick. And not only just the stability, but also the passion mm-hmm. and the action. This stuff was actionable, you know. Yeah. It wasn't just him envisioning things. It wasn't him discussing things with, you know, Bill or Gary or Keith Wachtell or Jenner. He was actually on the ground and was active yeah. and actioning a lot of this stuff, starting with the rental of the rink. I think right away he put in like $25 million in the rink. Yeah. And to make it a better environment for the fans, to make it a better environment for the players, all the players... They were treated here, then it just went to up there. Mm-hmm. Everything was first class, 
that was reflective in the fan experience. It was reflected in the player experience and the community. And then, as you know, then a lot of his uh, investing in education here. Yeah. Uh, a lot of the urban redevelopment here. Yeah. So he's somebody that has a great vision for this city and elevating it and taking it to the next level. And naturally, uh, vis-a-vis the, the, the lightning, he's done a great job doing that and education and community. I mean, that, those are three major boxes to tick. Yep. And he, took, and he took Batman's advice and hired Eiserman. Exactly. <laughs> well, this is a, well, hey, listen. No, that's funny. You, we're, we're laughing, but it's true. Yeah, right. It's true. And, yeah. and Stevie's done, you know, he's been one of the best GMs in sports. Yeah. There's, no, there's no arguing that in terms of just rebuilding this team because let's, let's not... It, he was able to rebuild this team a couple times. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, that 11 team that went to Eastern Conference Final, then to rebuild them again, then going to a cup final, and also... And also keeping doing them together. That's what yeah, keeping them together yes. in a cap era is the totally. real amazing thing. I mean, the Stamkos yes. contract being what it is. How about Coach's contract Coach's being contract, being what it is? Three years, six, yeah. or whatever that is? It might be a little concerned down yeah. the line, but for right now, you got them on the bridge. You've got a, cup, a clear cup contender. If you can... I mean... You, the whole point's to win. Totally. And then you figure out the details, right? right. Like, yeah. that's kind of how exactly. it works. Exactly. And, and then, then what he did with Vassie. Yeah. Look at Vassie's deal. For what you're getting, return on investment. Yeah. Right? What you're paying Vassie versus what you're netting in your return. And and just understanding as well, I might add, that pipeline of prospects, with many of which are players, but then also complementing them with good veterans, right? Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. You're complimenting those guys with a Chris Kunis. Four rings. Thanks for coming. Danny Girardi, one of the most respected guys that you're going to find. You know, you, you start plugging some of those valuable spots. And the reason I say valuable is he identifies those as being valuable. Yeah. Not every organization does that. Some of them might say, oh, well, this isn't uh, the Chris Kunitz of four years ago. This isn't the Dan Girardi. Yeah. No, but they're very valuable but he'll, championship teams. He'll so still, that depends. He'll still be the Chris Kunitz who scores in Game 7 Thank against you. the Penguins you in know the what conference I mean? final. Exactly. Like, exactly. He'll do nothing. This is it. Like, And then he'll score this that goal. And you're like, oh, that's why you have him Thank on the you. team. Yeah, Thank exactly. You. Right. Now, now we both were here for the skills competition on yeah. Saturday night. Yeah. And another thing that happened this weekend was Gary Bettman talked about goalie interference and a bunch of GMs talked about goalie interference. I'm sure the Board of Governors talked about goalie interference. Yes. And we all talked about it with the players that were here sure and so i guess my question is a buddy of mine sent me an article it was funny bettman was talking about how it was ironic that the last time they had an all-star game here i remember i was here was he he dug up he dug up an article from the new york post that said uh one of the article one of the things the article was islanders searching for new arena on long island he's like the more things change the more they stay the same yes but buddy of mine sent me another article from that year which was an article about how goalie interference goalie is a completely yeah. subjective call and they keep screwing up. Sure. <laughs> like, we're never getting it right. right it's been right. 20 years more yeah. than that. So, I mean, is, is there a solution to this? In, in your world, do we take sure. it out of the coach's challenge altogether? Or do you think that you can use video review to figure out things they miss on the ice? I think you can. The whole, the whole spirit of the video review is just to be uh, another layer of help. Yeah. Another layer of assistance, really, for lack of a better. But you never want to take that out of the hands initially of the officials because mm-hmm. their instincts are great. Right. Right. They have the best instincts. Like players, players got great instincts, but you need officials and some parameters in which they have, by which they have to play. Mm-hmm. But in terms of those that enforce the rules and regulations, being the, the refs, they're great at what they do, but they make mistakes. It's going right. to happen. Right. Right. Flowers, great. Flowers not going to make every save. He might be in the Hall of Fame. Hank, going in the Hall of Fame for sure, he's not going to make every save. Right. So it's not dissimilar with the officials. You want them to be able to play by their instincts, but you also want to give them a tool mm-hmm. to help them in the event that, hey, they may have missed something mm-hmm. because the game's so fast and there's so much chaos and there's motion and movement. So I, I don't have a problem on that sense with the spirit of review. Review, yeah. Nor do I have 
a problem with the spirit of the challenge either from the coach's standpoint because the coach isn't just always making calls unilaterally. Right. You know what I mean? The coach is looking, you know, assistant coach comes, hey, man, here's what I saw. Right. Video coach is buzzing. Hold up. All right. Yeah, here's what I saw. <laughs> yeah. Here's what I'm seeing. You might want to you might want to challenge this one, AV, for Vino or whoever it is, you know? So I like the different elements of it and all those elements in concert, in theory, are there to get it right most of the time. Mm-hmm. But I think we have to start with the perspective that we're never always going to get it right. Mm-hmm. Because here's the thing, whether it's Ole Kolzig playing Washington here against Tampa and it's Vinny going into the crease, or it's Bryn Holpe today playing and it's Sid or Gino going in the crease, those things are going to happen. Yeah. You know what I find fascinating, though, about the because I was thinking about this with the Connor play against the, uh, the Flames in overtime. Yeah, right. Like, if a goal, if a goalie says he was impeded, yeah. Like, don't you kind of have to take that at face? Like, of who, are, you do. who are we to say? Like, most of these, re- not most, but a lot of these reviewers are basically like, was he impeded in making the save? That's right. That's the but, spirit but, of the rule itself. But like, right. The on-ice, it's written, the on-ice officials are determining how a guy feels. Right. You know, and, and it's right, always right. struck me as being odd because if a yeah. goalie says I couldn't make the save because this guy hit my blocker and then you look at the replay and the ref's like, no, you could, totally could have. I guess my only thing is I wish more goalies were involved in the process. Like you have Kay Whitmore in the league who, yeah. who's there to kind yeah. of facilitate some of this. Yeah. But to me, it's like player safety hires every guy who ever threw an elbow at somebody's head <laughs> right. to run player safety. Sure. Right? Like shouldn't more goalies be involved in goalie interference? It's a fair question. I think we should have more goalie. You know, we have the comp- the competition committee and everything else before. Right. Yeah. But the the fact of the matter remains, and I'm I'm very staunch in this. Goalie's a very unique position. Yeah. Okay. And I didn't play D, but I understand D. Yeah. I didn't play forward. I understand forward. Center, whatever, wing, doesn't matter. Period. Right. And I played with enough Hall of Famers and soon-to-be Hall of Famers to be able to have discussions with those guys about their position. Right. Not all of them can have discussions with Corey Schneider, yeah. with Braden Holpe, with Roberto Luongo on what they're doing. Right. And that's the difference. And that just being fair. So to your point, your point makes a lot of sense. Anything that you do that involves goalie, you need to speak to goalie. Yeah. And you can't speak to goalie necessarily from yesteryear that's not necessarily current on how guys play today yeah. or how guys wear gear today because our game as a whole is a game of nuance, man. Yeah. It's a game of tons of nuances. We talked about this before where it's the slightest difference, man. It's a slight People look at it and they're like, oh, my gosh, let's watch this 100-meter dash, Usain Bolt lining up to... Like, it could be, and I've talked to Donovan Bailey about this many times, Donovan from back home. It could literally be a fraction of a second of a difference that lets him win gold in Atlanta and lets, you know, that Canadian team win the 4x100 men's relay Mm -hmm. just based on the position of the baton or a finger. Uh You know what I mean? Like, on your follow-through, is your finger here? Is your hand clenched? Okay, you don't break the the line. Now you're silver medals. And hockey is a game of inches. Hockey is literally, like, I'm telling you. Well, thank you, Kevin yeah, Weeks. no problem, man. Our thanks to Kevin Weeks of NHL Network. You can watch him you know, when he's there on the NHL Network. I, I, I never know what the schedule is for any of the people on NHL Network. I turn it on one night, and it's I love that on-the-fly commercial, though. Oh, yeah. Then Jamie it's Hirsch. Rupp, Not those flies. Then it's wit. All kinds of guys on the NHL Network. Um, and gals. And gals. Um, not enough gals, by the way. Yeah. Jamie does well, good when, one of the things that, that I got blowback on in our best and worst uh, column was the idea that Hillary Knight should have been part of the shot accuracy competition instead of just demonstrating it. And and the thing about it that like I don't get is like what what part of 
putting those the, the women's players on equal footing with the men's players for a millisecond, don't you understand? Like that elevates them. Like it's and it's the same thing I've always said about trying to get like Hillary or one of the one of the women's players on a panel on like NBC or the NHL Network or whatever. Like the, the minute you, you invite you know a woman to a, to that party in in a in a capacity other than host, then it's like oh, their opinions are very valid and should not be ignored. That's yeah. how I've always felt about it. One last thing on that. We we do have an interview with Amanda Castle later, but I hate when they go on the show and they're like on NBC with Catherine Tappan and Hillary Knight has to wear her Team USA uniform as if to remind us like, who would this girl be who's just talking? Oh, wait, wait. She's an athlete. That's it. Yes. Here's her jersey. Yeah. As you can see, she is a hockey player and should be treated as such. Never do that with a guy. It's kind of a hockey problem, right? Like, because mm. w- I've always talked about the fact that when other athletes in other sports, like when you see Aaron Rodgers in like a commercial for whatever, he's just Aaron Rodgers. He's like wearing flannel, most likely. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you see other players in, in other sports, any NBA guy, like Steph Curry's in a commercial for some fancy water. He's just like Steph some Curry. skinny jeans and a leather jacket. Yeah. Whenever there's a hockey player pitching a product, they have to be in their jersey. Or that else is there's fair. no way, you know, it's like, it's like a nationwide car rental commercial. And it's like, what? Jack Eichel. And he's like, Hey, everybody. And he's wearing his like, what Buffalo Just got off the practice rink. <laughs> Yeah, yeah it's no. always that. Unless it's for like Adidas, and then it's like they're in their street clothes or their. Well, Adidas they can let PK wear his hat, which has now yeah. become his jersey. That fedora has become a staple of PK. Yeah, so there you go. It's more of a hockey problem than anything else. But yeah, there's no reason why she had to wear. Speaking of hockey either. problems, should we talk yeah. about goalie interference? Yeah, we talked. We, so we, we got into transition. it with weeks a bit, and that was a hell of a segue. Uh, we got into it with weeks a bit about goalie interference. Was, listen. The biggest bummer about this whole weekend is is the fact that so much uh, time was spent on goalie interference. The McDavid play uh, in that game against Calgary had happened a week earlier, and obviously it was a huge topic of conversation. But someone, uh, uh, Vince from the, the NHL Stats and Info, sent me an article uh, from uh, around 1999, which was the last time that we were in Tampa for the All-Star game. And lo and behold, talking about goalie interference, talking about goalie interference, it's Amazing. never going to end. I, I feel like... The issue that Batman brought up, and if you didn't see his comments, Batman basically said, "Don't search the replay to death. Uh, don't don't try to get it down to the pixel. Don't overanalyze. Simply look at it from a general point of view and tell me, you know, whether or not you think that there was goalie interference. And don't try to find some minutia in the in the play uh, that uh, uh, you know is going to overturn a goal." Um, you and I discussed this. It's kind of gotten to the point. Where the goalie interference thing, according to Bettman, is going to be the difference between a ruling on a fumble in the NFL and a ruling on a, uh, a complete or incomplete pass in the NFL. A fumble, I feel like, is the general review. You know, does this feel like a fumble? Is this a fumble? You know, can we say that the knee is down or up? And they don't get down to the blades of grass or exactly where the ball moves or something. It's kind of like a general thing, and I feel like that's where Bettman is. But you made the point that pass inter- that that uh, a, a, a complete or incomplete pass is more like where goalie interference is right now, as far as the review process. Yeah, in the sense that it seems kind of subjective, and you know, it's a little nebulous on the definition. The only problem I had with Bettman's comments was it just seemed to contradict himself. He's like, "We're going to introduce replay on this, which gives us a sense of stepping back and being analytical about it, and you know, looking at it in a clinical sense." But then he's like. 
don't overthink it, which is don't yeah. overthink it to death, which is pretty much like use your instinct. What do you see right away? And I think that's to your point of a fumble. Does it look like a fumble or is it not a fumble? Like that's kind of how I fall with a catch. Does it look like a catch? And he's got, you know, his two hands in and, and controller does it not. Um, so it just, it kind of just muddles it even more to me. Like I understand where he's going at. Like let's not dissect every single, you know, piece of minutia in this one specific play. At the same time, you're inviting that when you ask for replay. Right, and that's the thing. You like, I, I don't understand the the purpose of replay if it's not to study the and overanalyze the play to see exactly what happened on it. I mean, right. it seems to kind of defeat the purpose. Uh, so I understand what he's saying, which is that uh, the the spirit of the rule is that uh, there needs to be conclusive evidence to overturn a call on the ice, and I think in in some cases the on ice officials seem to not find something conclusive, but it kind of you know, feels a certain way because of the things they've seen. And yet that is, that's even contradictory to what he said, which is that, mm-hmm. they're, you know, the exploration for something conclusive is something that he believes they shouldn't be necessarily doing. I, I think what we're both getting at here is, you know, goalie interference is a subjective call that's been debated for years. The problem right now for the NHL isn't whether the approach to goalie interference should change within the replay apparatus. You know, should we give it to one guy in the war room so there's consistency? Should we let the referees continue to do it, blah, 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 or to try to redefine what it is? I mean, you ask a skater what goalie interference is, he's going to give you a 180 difference answer than a goalie. I, I talked to Connor Hollyback from the Jets. I'm like, what's goalie interference to you? He's like, anything that impedes me from making a save. All right. Well, that's like anything that ever happens to a goalie. Like a goalie would say a guy a chewing popcorn. Yeah, pouring the guy good, yeah, the guy chewing popcorn too loud over in section 101 right. and me for making the save. Um, so I think the real question for the NHL is right now is, do we need this in the coach's challenge? Is, is it more trouble than it's worth? Are we ever going to get it right? Is it is it a situation where uh, we just you know expunge the whole thing from this apparatus, or is is there value to still reviewing these plays? I think it's gone a little too far. I, I would love to take it out, but the problem is, and kind of where I'll end with this, is by listening to Bettman's comments, it doesn't sound like we're getting wholesale change anytime soon, and definitely at the least um, before the season ends. Yeah, I kind of want to keep it in because I do think that there's worthiness in, you know, listen, it gets kind of chaotic in the crease, and there are times when the referee can't see the play. There are right. times when there's contact. There is contact made, and, and you know, goaltenders – deserve to have their day in court, as it were, sure. as to whether or not the goal should count. Or their 90 seconds in court. Yeah, right. Or their, you know, three minutes because they can't get the iPad to work or whatever it is. And so um, I think it deserves to belong there. I, I just think that because of that, we're going to just constantly have, we're going to have to live with it. Like, I think that's mm-hmm. the issue is that, you know, we, we can't constantly carp about this, um, you know, on a year to year basis. I think we just all have to accept that much like every other call in the National Hockey League made by an official, there's going to be times they get it right and times they get it wrong, but it's better overall to maybe have it than not have it. I don't know. Yeah, that's kind of where I'm at. I think that's, fair. that's fair. All right. We're going to take a short break. Coming up after that break, uh, Emily talks to Amanda Kessel, Team USA superstar, plus puck headlines, plus other things coming up after this. <laughs> I love sports. I just wish they could be with me always. They say you don't choose the app. The app chooses you. It is everything I could ever want in a sports companion. It can stream the games and shows that I love, and it's there whenever I need it. I never thought 
I could find an app that loves sports as much as I do. Until now. Download the ESPN app to stream ESPN Radio and all the ESPN networks now. And we're back on ESPN on Ice, the podcast where ESPN covers hockey. Greg Wyshynski, Emily Kaplan, and Emily, you had the opportunity to speak with Amanda Kessel. I did. I didn't realize that the U.S. women's national team was training about 30 minutes outside of Tampa. They've been there for the last couple months before they head to Pyeongchang on Wednesday. So I went out there. I went to a Starbucks outside. I am giving this information as a disclaimer for all this natural noise. There's some (laughs) birds chirping and phones ringing, but... I sat down with Amanda. It was the day after she did the skills competition. I asked her, how did that all come about? So about a week ago, general manager of our team, USA, contacted me and was like, would you be interested in demoing something for the NHL All-Star Skills? Of course, I said yes, but I'm very, very nervous. And then it kind of came together quickly. And I, like I said, I was like, way more nervous to do that than playing any game. Really? Yeah. I don't know. It's like one of those things where it's like the spotlight's on you, 60 seconds, and it's not like something that you're usually doing in a game. Like the, I was doing like puck handling, and this new thing with gates and, and putting it through, and it's kind of lacrosse style. You did pretty well, though. I think you could have you could have given them a competition if you actually competed in it. I don't know. I, I would have maybe been middle of the pack, maybe, or... You would have had to pick it up and put it under a stick like Eric. Yeah. Maybe not come in last. That's yeah. my goal. <laughs> what is this Olympics? What makes it different than the other ones you competed in? Um, I got a little experience now. I know what to expect. I think for me, it's just it's like a fresh start. Our last Olympics didn't end up how we wanted it, but it has nothing to do with you know how this Olympics can go. What kind of reaction did you get from you know what you guys did last year? Mostly everything good. You know, maybe there was a few tweets here and there where people were trying to, um, didn't really understand, like, what we were actually fighting for, trying to compare us to the men, and it wasn't, like, weird. You know, saying that we think we should be getting millions of dollars or anything. Like Not that. apples to apples. Yeah. And we understand that. Um, but most people were, like, super pumped for you, proud of you, and very, very supportive. Our thanks to Amanda Kessel for joining us here on ESPN on Ice. And, of course, best of luck to the U.S. women's national team in Pyeongchang, where they will inevitably win gold because I'm not there. Uh, I was there the last two times. <laughs> I couldn't get pissed off about it in, in 2010 because after they lost to Canada, the Canadian women's players came back on the ice with magnums of Molson and cigars <laughs> And that was really cool. And I'll never forget that. And I'll, I'll also never forget how the Canadian media got all school marm about it and criticized them. Oh, how dare they smoke stogies on the ice like they're an NHL owner. Uh, and then in 2014, I just wanted to just, I just wanted to jump in the Black Sea and end it because of the way that they lost to the Canadians. <laughs> the, the puck off the, uh, the goalpost on the empty netter chance, the penalty, you know, it's just the worst. And, and I really, really thought that I was going to see a U.S. team win uh, hockey gold in person. I have not seen that yet. So undoubtedly, because I am not there in South Korea, they will win this time. Yep, that's it. That's definitely it. You've it's solved the problem. You've solved the problem. All right, it's time for our favorite segment every week. Phil Kessel loves hot dogs. Good one, Randy. Oh. Good one. From Phil Kessel's <laughs> sister to fake headlines that we are inspired by from Phil Kessel. Exactly. A Kessel to Kessel, if you will. Uh, Phil Kessel loves hot dogs is, of course, our weekly look at uh, media hype in uh, in hockey and the most hyped media stories. And this one comes from the NHL All-Star Weekend. 
And our it's about ye old pirates, the scalawags and buccaneers, traipsing through the streets of Tampa. Uh, uh, the Tampa All-Star Game was held during Gasparilla. How would you describe Gasparilla? Gasparilla, to me, is anyone who's ever seen SantaCon in New York or maybe St. <laughs> Patrick's Day in Chicago. And you just have that, which has just turned into a bunch of drunk people on a um, glorified bar tour just in matching costumes. Um, yeah. And that's pretty much what it was. They descended upon it. I mean, I was walking downtown Tampa on Saturday to go from one hotel to another. And all I just saw were drunk people ordering Ubers ready to go home and figuring out where they could get fries because they were hungry. Swap out Guinness for rum. Yes. Swap out uh, green stockings for fishnets and then add in all the pirate uh, puns. Yeah, uh, pirate puns and pirate ships firing fake cannons at each other. Mm. And you've got Gasparilla. Yeah. I mean, it was a fun time. But the reason why it makes the Phil Kessel Loves Hot Dogs segment is uh, there was all this discussion about pirates and pirates and pirates and pirates coming into this thing and how it's going to be We didn't see fun. any damn pirates. There's no pirates. Where are the pirates? There was inside the arena for the NHL All-Star game. There were two pirates. One was Eric Carlson and one was Victor Hedman. <laughs> Other than that, nary a pirate throughout the entire day. No pirates descending from the ceilings on grappling hooks. No pirates trying to steal the opening puck as if it's pirate's booty. None of it. No pirates in the arena. Pirates outside? Yep. Inside the arena? Nothing. And it, it seems it's so weird to have all this coverage of the, of the pirate festival leading up to the uh, thing and uh, and then inside the All-Star game. Uh, I mean, the closest thing we came to a pirate was probably Kid Rock. <laughs> which is not what you want, really. And for the record, Greg and I both didn't even see Kid Rock's performance. We were waiting for one of the losing teams to come out and get to talk to them. So we have no reviews there, and we'll have no more comments about Kid Rock ever. Yeah, blessedly, we also couldn't hear it. Uh, it's time for Puck Headlines, our weekly look around the news and views in the world of hockey. Dateline, Ottawa. Oh, boy, here we go. So we all know that there's all this... Uh, hand-wringing and consternation about Eric Carlson's future with the Ottawa Senators. You know, is he going to stay? Does he want to play there? Can Eugene Melnick afford him? He goes down to the All-Star game. He's on the same team as Nikita Kucherov and Steven Stamkos. They and his buddy, are all... Victor Hedman, is their uh, equipment manager. And he's staying with the Hedmans while he's down there. There's so <laughs> Was he really staying at their house? Y- yeah. Stamkos tweets pictures of them hugging Carlson. Carlson Instagrams a picture of him hugging Stamkos and Kucherov. And it all they're leads all to some ta- like Tampa Bay they're fan all, fiction. They're all talking about how much they love playing with each other. And then now there's like a cottage industry of like I was a looking fan at, fiction. At, <laughs> you think it's fan fiction? Cause, cause here, here's the thing. You've got some very smart people saying right now, Hey, the money could work. The money could work. You take Eric Carlson for two years. Maybe you trade some assets. You take trade some salary to Ottawa. Maybe a first. Maybe Braden Point. You get Eric Carlson for at least two years. A two-year window to try to win a cup with Eric Carlson and Victor Hedman on your blue line. I, You know, it, he clearly likes it down there. His friends are down there. You're saying, though, it's it's all fan fiction. The reason I say that is because I'm not wholly convinced that Eric Carlson's actually on the market. I feel like those rumors just kind of spurted up out of nowhere. And Eugene Melnick and the senators just don't have the wherewithal to, like, convincingly shut them down. I think they're like, oh, okay, we'll just let people think this. But, like, no, that's not part of our plans. That's my theory. So I don't know. I'm not a, I'm not for it. I also feel like it's a little bit of conjecture. Like, for example, 
I don't know if we're going to talk about this later or we're just going to tie in here, but Mike Green, everyone and their mother decided, we all know Mike Green is going to be available. You know, the Detroit Red Wings need to unload some big contracts like his, but like all of a sudden it was this foregone conclusion that like the Capitals want him back and everyone's asking Ovechkin what they thought of Mike Green and Mike Green of what he'd like be like if he went back to DC. And it's like, I don't even know if Barry Trotz wants him, let alone McClellan. <laughs> yeah. Trotz was there for one year with Green. Uh, and then McClellan, I think, is a fan. But that thing really took a life on its own. I mean, it's obviously not just simply getting money off the books. I mean, he's a restrict, he's an unrestricted free agent. There's some speculation as to whether or not they'll ever resign him. Uh, he likes Detroit. He, he, he said that to me, um, during All-Star Weekend. But I think it's more sort of the, the fit. Like, you think about Kevin Shattenkirk last year and what he didn't give the Capitals, and you think and about what Barry what they... Trotz didn't get out of it and made sure we all knew that Barry Trotz didn't get out of it. Precisely. And then you think about what they need this year, which is probably an upgrade on their, on their third pairing, you know, and Green can give you that. And, and mm-hmm. I think the, the, the big difference is he's a known quantity. You know, he's played with a lot of guys on this team. He was part of that Young Guns group. Ovechkin and Backstrom are still there. He's played for Trots. They kind of know what they get out of him. I think they see him as an older and wiser player who in the last three years under Jeff Blaschel has been better defensively, I think, than he's been in his career. So the timing right might be right for a reunion there, um, but I do think that the market's going to be pretty strong for Mike Green if, in fact, he's available. He's got a no-trade clause, so he can, uh, you know, dictate his future a little bit. But you're going to have teams like like Toronto and and Washington and others that are going to be in the market for this guy. So it's not a foregone conclusion he's going to be a capital game, but um, an interesting wrinkle, and and I think mm-hmm. one that that there's watching because I do think that there's a fit. If, if they do want him, uh, Dateline Seattle, the application from the Seattle ownership group to, uh, st- uh formally start the expansion process is expected this week along with a $10 million application fee, which is still mind boggling to me. Um, but Hey, the NHL got to eat. Uh, the big news over the weekend though, from Gary Bettman was the fact that the Seattle team is going to have the same expansion draft that the Vegas team did. So, you know, you protect three defensemen, you protect a certain number of, of forwards, everybody's uh, backup goalie will be available to Seattle. And that is uh, obviously good news for Seattle and interesting news given that you figure that some of these teams would be super pissed off how good Vegas is this season. Well, that was the other interesting thing that Gary Bettman said. He's in this press conference and he's like, we haven't gotten any negative feedback from other teams in regards to how the Vegas expansion worked, which obviously worked out pretty damn well for them. And I'm like, hmm, is there no negative? Are they just not telling you about their negative pushback? Or, you know, are you just not listening to it? Like, there is some in the league. Um, look, everyone has also a foregone conclusion. We've skipped a couple of steps. It's like, yeah, well, if they get the same, you know, draft set up, then Seattle's going to be super successful. I think that's contingent on a lot of things. I think that George McPhee crushed his selections. I think we, you know, we're giving a lot of credit to future Seattle GM that he's going to do an equally great job. And another thing is I think teams are going to get a little savvier. Um, I can't remember who said it. Maybe it was in Elliot Friedman's 31 Thoughts, but I don't think teams are going to overthink it this time. Like, it's just one player you're giving up. Stop making all these backwheeling trades and, and deals like you saw Chuck Fletcher did just to protect one player like Matt Dumba. And maybe you're screwing up your whole farm system and, and, you know, lose a player like Alex Tuck in the process. Like, I think we're going to see a little more savviness this time around. So that's interesting. But yeah, Gary Bettman gave his updates on Seattle. 
once again, it seems like an inevitability. It's going to happen. Um, I'm excited. Go Sockeyes. Go Metropolitans. <laughs> I, I, go yeah. Sasquatch. Go Sasquatch, indeed, and and it it should be fun. I I, I think uh, I think the the other interesting thing, I guess, this is sort of date, Dateline Quebec City, is uh you know it's become pretty clear that the geographic needs of the NHL, insofar as adding a team to the Western Conference, uh, and ensuring that if a team might need to relocate, cough, Arizona, cough. <laughs> Uh, they're going to be uh, moving to another Western Conference city. Uh, it's pretty clear that they don't want imbalance. I'm sure that's a lot of the Eastern Conference GMs and owners letting them know that the imbalance is a bad thing and an unfortunate and unfair thing. Mm-hmm. So if when Seattle comes in, they're going to be in the West. If the Coyotes have to move, I'm, guess, I'm guessing it's probably Houston. Uh, and, and Quebec City is still on the sidelines. Bettman said that their application for a team is no longer being considered at this time. And I think the geographic needs of the NHL is one reason why. Uh, finally, uh, oh, before we get to this last one, Dateline Professional Hockey Writers Association Real briefly, there was a discussion at our meeting this weekend about the transparency of <laughs> postseason awards voting. Um, You're being very transparent a, for revealing this conversation yes, about transparency. I am very transparent in all forms of life. Um, he, This has been a raging debate within the PHWA for years. Every year that I've been a member of the organization, we've discussed it. The wind does seem to be blowing towards transparency. Um, but what's your thoughts? I mean, I, I don't know if you were a voter when you were covering the NFL for any of their awards. I don't, I don't even know if they have awards. Uh, but your thoughts on, on your vote being made public uh, when you vote for these postseason awards? I'm all for it. I, I think, you know, the the reason we do this, honestly, is just it's a back pad exercise in itself that we are so knowledgeable about hockey and we deserve <laughs> to have a say and, you know, how people are treated and how people are recognized in hockey. So look, if we're going to do this whole thing, like let's give it some transparency and there's someone voting a certain way, like we should know why. I know there's a couple news organizations. I know the Washington Post is one. I believe the LA Times that doesn't allow their writers to participate in it because they think it's a conflict of interest to mm-hmm. which I say, huh? Like I, everything's a conflict of interest these days. I just don't understand. But yeah, like I'll show you guys my ballot. I'll tell you how I voted. Uh, I got Brock Besser's and they call her trophy, uh, Leader right now, and I, I told you guys why. Yeah, because it's mad. What's flow. so wrong with that? I said John Klingberg yeah, no, is my number one defenseman, and I totally stand by that. The only thing I understand, like with the post, I've, I've discussed this with post writers before about the postseason awards. I guess there is something to be said for like, if you cast a vote for somebody, you are in in fact uh, trying rooting to for them. Do, well, like, not rooting for them, but pushing them closer to a performance bonus. Like yeah. that's really the, the issue for the post writers is that if you vote a guy for MVP. Then you are, you know, basically acting on his behalf to try to get him a bonus in his in his contract. So I get that. I don't think it's necessarily fair to the writers because they're only one of hundreds and hundreds of votes. But I kind of get it. the The devil's advocate position on transparency has been, well, if I'm a beat writer. I don't want to uh, put my votes uh, public because I don't want to create weird dynamics within the organization. I don't want Fair. Zdeno Chara coming over and, and, and intimidating me because I didn't put him, you know, second or first in my Norris ballot and that kind of thing. So I, I understand that, but I think overall the biggest gripe is I don't want the hassle of having to explain my vote, and you lose me there. Like <laughs> we are, we are most of us are paid for our opinions. 
not all of us are straight news reporters. Most of us are paid for our opinions, and we put an opinion out there. It's expected that we need to be able to defend that viewpoint, and this is essentially what voting is. It is casting a vote for somebody, saying this person deserved to be here on this ballot, and then being able to articulate or defend why that is. And if you can't, then maybe you shouldn't have put that person on your ballot, or you shouldn't have a ballot altogether. Because that's what it essentially is, is is our opinion on paper about a player. It's what we do every single day in this job, although maybe not on paper, maybe digitally. And uh, and we should be able to do that, you know, when we put these award votes down. Because at the end of the day, like, it's an honor to have a vote. And it's a big deal to be able to name the winner, the winners of, of some of these awards. So it's uh, – I'm all for transparency. I always have been. But I do acknowledge the other side of the equation. Finally, Dateline – the NHL playoff system. <laughs> Where do you like? This became a topic of conversation, uh, I guess, because there's going to be some teams that will once again be screwed by the wild card format, particularly in the Central Division, and some of these GMs will probably make a stink about it. Like if Chicago doesn't make the playoffs, they're one point out of the wild card, but they would have made the playoffs in a one through eight format. You best know that Rocky Wirtz is going to say something, <laughs> or more likely, uh, um, uh, you know, the John team McDonough. president, yeah, John McDonough over there. We'll say we'll say something. Uh, so I think there's some there's some preparation, some digging in of heels about the playoff format debate. As far as I know, the NHLPA and the NHL have an, an agreement that this is going to last for two more seasons. This this sort of format that we have now. But what say you? Are you happy with the wild card? Do you want to see them go back to like a one through eight, or or do you want to see some dramatic change like a one through sixteen? I think I'm fine with as it is. I think in any format, you're going to have some inherent flaws. And this seems to have the best cushion for market correction of some divisions being better than other divisions in this specific year. So I'm okay with it. I, I, you know, it was a topic of conversation this week, but every time it came up, it seemed like Deputy Commissioner Bill Daly and Commissioner uh, Gary Bettman just shut it down and said, this is what we're going with. This is what we got. Yeah, there's a part of me that would like to see them change it only because I didn't think there was anything wrong with the one through eight format. And I was sort of, if it ain't broke, don't fix it kind of way with it. Um, and I do think that certain teams do get screwed. I, I know where this is coming from. It's coming from a guy like Barry Trotz who finds it to be beyond the pale that his team needs to face the Pittsburgh Penguins in the second round of the playoffs in consecutive seasons. And I understand that viewpoint. Like you, you'd like to get at least to a championship round with that dumb franchise at some point. Um, but that said, like, where I think it's worked is the encouraging, the encouragement of first round rivalry matchups. I would much rather watch, you know, two teams in the central that are geographic rivals than watch some of the matchups that we had in the past where it's like, you know, Ottawa, you know, Ottawa and some other team. Who that does they, Ottawa even play? Yeah, just Ottawa, basically. <laughs> the Rangers, all right? But you know what I'm yep. saying? Like, to, to yeah. have to have Blackhawks Blues in the first round is a pretty dope thing. And and you get that because yeah. of, the, of the current playoff format. So that's where I like it. But ultimately, I just think from an equity standpoint, the one through eight's better. And, uh, and, but the NHL doesn't, doesn't care about equity. They care about forced parity and, and, and trying to, you know, kind of rejig the playoff format to get the matchups that they want. So I don't know if it's going to change. I hope it does. All right. It's uh, time for the final part of ESPN and ice that we always love. Once again, when we started this rant line, it was one of those deals where we're like, I don't know. But now, tidal waves of calls come in each week to our rant line, including this one. 
Hey, Greg. Hey, Emily. It's Kevin from Tampa. I want to talk about the offside review problem that's going around the NHL. And not to say that it's bad to get rid of it, because I think they should. Stupid that escape being an inch off the ice matters to a play. But I want to know why this is just now becoming a problem. The point that I've heard is that what happens when this decides a playoff series? It might already have. Back in 2016, in the Eastern Conference Finals, Game 6 between Tampa and Pittsburgh, Tampa scored a goal, I believe it was Brian Boyle, about three or four minutes into the game, it was a huge momentum grab for Tampa. They needed to come out strong, and they did, but it was wiped away because Jonathan Durant's skate was an inch off the end. Nobody cared back then. So why is it now just becoming a problem when it's been a problem for years? Thank you. I don't believe for a second that's not Jay Barishaw. Um, the, <laughs> uh, no, I, I, I agree. It's, uh, I don't know what, I mean, listen, the Matthew Shane play where he was a, a, a country mile offside and embarrassed the league because the linesman made a horrible call is the reason we have this mechanism right now in the coaches challenge to look at offside. Um, for me, I, I agree. I, I don't know why there's, why we could live with human error for as long as we did, but now all of a sudden there's such an intense emphasis on getting these calls right. Uh, I, I stand on this issue like, like this. You're taking good goal, goals off the board. And, uh, and while I agree we don't want the embarrassing stuff, I think that it swung too far in the other direction where, you know, what, Bet- what Bettman said about goalie interference is what we're doing with offside, which is that we are more obsessed with the minutiae of these calls and counting pixels between skate blades and the ice, uh, than we are about actually, you know, the logical conclusion on a, on a play. And the other thing too is that if there's an offside call, that's missed and then a team scores 12 seconds later after the other team has multiple chances to clear the zone come on that should that rule should be changed yesterday as far as allowing that goal to stand because it's nonsense as for your point that no one cared about the Jonathan Duran play, it's funny. I really, I literally last week read a story in the Pittsburgh Post Gazette where I think it was Carl Hagelin. Like they brought up that play, and he's like, "Yep, yeah, we've had pretty good luck in the playoffs." So people are still talking about it. I think it's just one of those things, um, you know, like Craig mentioned that in 1999 we were talking about goalie interference, and in 2018 we're still talking about goalie interference. It's just been on the table for a while, and there just hasn't been a groundswell enough to, you know ask for reform yeah talk about other stuff like the trapezoid anyway this is esp on a nice for this week uh thanks to everybody in tampa for being so sweet and saying hi and the people that came out to the meetup that we did with uh, raw charge um on the rooftop of fly bar uh that was a good time and uh we will go we'll talk to you uh, next week with more fun and, and merriment and all that good stuff you could Find me on Twitter at Wyshynski. You could read our stuff on the NHL side of ESPN.com. And please do leave reviews, positive or negative, but mostly positive, on iTunes so you can help people find this silly show of ours. Appreciate you. <laughs> That's what every NFL player used to say. So Pre- there you go. Greg Pre- Wyshynski, lover of seafood. Emily Kaplan. Lover of whales. We'll see you next week. Bye. This has been ESPN on Ice with Wyshynski and Kaplan. Subscribe to the show in the ESPN app or Apple Podcasts.